This podcast is part of the How to Speak About Deborah Bell series, which covers who Deborah Bell is, an overview of the artist's career, her major influences, and her body of prints, published by David Crit, which form an important part of Bell's body of work as one of South Africa's major printmakers. The information is taken from excerpts of the Deborah Bell Taxi Book and Deborah Bell's Alchemy, both available through David Crit Publishers, as well as personal reflections of the David Crit Projects team, who have worked directly with Bell for many years. Deborah Bell is a leading Johannesburg printmaker, painter, and sculptor whose work is influenced by texts, ancient histories, and consciousness. This podcast covers Bell's work from the early 80s to the mid-2000s. Bell is a frequent collaborator at the David Crude Print Workshop, where she has produced a number of prints over the years. David Crude Projects is committed to spreading awareness on her work. Future podcasts cover Bell's history with the printing technique and recent prints through the David Crude Workshop. Bell's work is fundamentally informed by a personal search of the self, and she often draws on spiritual imagery from a wide range of sources. Her interest in African art expanded to looking at artifacts from other cultures such as the Sumerians and ancient Egyptians. She talks about art as a power object, which she does not identify with contemporary Western ideas of protest, commentary, narrative, self-reflection, or depiction, and says, I very much like the idea that work itself is a transformative action, that by making something, it can change, even if ever so subtly, something in my world. Also the idea that making something is also a kind of personal alchemy, as it were, a making of the self. I don't make pictures. I'm not interested in pictures. I'm not interested in depicting the existing world. The idea of transformation, of alchemy and the journey, is a theme that has been the core of her work over the last 20 years. Her work is figurative, and in her interpretation of humanity, she portrays a promise of a future-evolved sovereign self. I call what I do my work. It is a mixture of who I am and what I feel I am doing in the world at this time. Working is a strange thing for me. It is both a passion and a duty. I feel most alive when I am working. However, I need to set defined times to work, to create the safe space and time in which things can happen. It is no use waiting for inspiration to strike. For me, it is the process of working itself which opens the gates. My thinking happens through the work. I have realized I do my best work when I don't feel completely in control. Scale also alters my ability to control. When I'm working on something much bigger than myself, I feel like I'm only part of it. I move within its sphere. I am not in control of it. I struggle the most with conventional formats, like traditional portraits or landscape-sized sheets of paper, which seem to lull me into a state of inertia, and so seem to sap my originality and authenticity, says Deborah Bell of her working style. Bell has a markedly different approach to art-making to what is conventional in the contemporary art world. A deeply spiritual person, her art-making is a spiritual discipline. Bell is influenced by the ancient art of other cultures, which understand the power of creativity as a tool for transformation, and art as a power object rather than art for art's sake.
This is an excerpt from Mac Beckman's On My Painting, written between 1914 and 1950. One of Deborah Bell's most treasured possessions. At the core of Bell's artwork is her spirituality and the duality of being. Bell believes that the self is made up of intuition and moments of personal meaning, that the spiritual is accessed by going directly into the physical. As such, Bell dives directly into the physical process of mark-making in order to access a higher spiritual power. She describes herself as the maker, the material, and the maid. Each work originates as an idea intuitively explored, which leaves Bell as much changed as the material she is working on. It is a privilege to know that each artwork is not a message deliberately told to the viewer, which is a common contemporary practice. Her spiritual consciousness is embedded in each layer of every image in her art. Because of this, Bell's body of work is a reflection of her feelings and journey of self-realization. Her spiritual development from a fresh university graduate through the stages of her spiritual growth are evident in the development of Bell's subject matter, choice of materials and mode of representation through the 80s and 90s to the present. The female body is replete through the decades and allows us to view the intimate trajectory of self-actualization. Bell in the 80s, a woman trapped in the subtle violence of a male-controlled identity. A fresh graduate of Wits University and heavily influenced by John Berger's feminist book, Ways of Seeing, Bell explores women's feelings of entrapment in relation to men. Her confusion is apparent in her erotic, colourful paintings of lovers based off pornographic and paparazzi photographs of the rich and famous. Her works depict lovers in sensual, intimate encounters that leave the viewer in a voyeuristic position. In these paintings, the man has clear possession and power over the woman. Lovers in Cinema, produced in 1985, is one of this period's most well-known oil paintings. The woman's state of turmoil, passion and ambivalence is expressed through the churning of the heavy drapery, her twisted clothing, the sense of her being thrown off center by the man's strong, urgent clasp. The woman is reluctant and afraid of his power, and there is a subtle violence in her that needs to lose herself in a desperate, all-consuming passion. The figures are corporeal. Sensual and subtle violence is evoked through the thick paint strokes, the sheen of oil paint, and the stark contrasts of vivid color and dark shadows. An artist who viscerally feels what it is like to be in the bodies she paints, Bell's emotional state while painting is evident. Looking back at this period, Bell talks about the presence of fear in those images. It's only in retrospect, in trying to work out what those spaces meant to me, that I think that there was an enormous amount of fear in those images, a fear of mortality. The passion was not about a coming together of true love and desire. It was a blind passion of love-making, not knowing what you were doing. It was an animalistic, desperate passion. Bell in the 90s, a self-actualization as a woman and an artist. 
Turning points in an artist's career are often identified in specific artworks. The Desert Expulsion series is Baal's first major artistic move to a spiritual connection with ancient knowledge. This period is marked by a seemingly immovable rooted presence and personal strength. An identity connected to the earth, not defined through the male. In the Desert Expulsion series, the figures are muscular, almost life-size, with large thighs and huge shoulders, a different type of self-portrait. Produced between 1989 and 1991, the Desert Expulsion series depicts lovers of equal standing, often in a universal mythic desert landscape inspired by Bell's visits to the Namibian desert. The figures are thicker, stronger, and stand upright without fear compared to other previous works. In choosing to make her figures bulky, monumental, and classic, Bell imbues them with a sense of heaviness of gravitas. The colors are not the rich, sensual pinks and yellows of lovers, but what are now Bell's signature austere grays, browns, and ochres, colors of stone. The nakedness of these solid monumental figures evokes neither sexuality or vulnerability. In comparing her work of the 80s and 90s, Val states, I used to stand in the pose of the woman I was painting and consciously feel what it was like to be that leg, that arm, the particular expression of the face. She was not I and I. She is no longer caught off balance in impossible high-heeled shoes or twisted into compromised positions. In these paintings, there was a change of embodiment, a new sense of resolve of inner strength of standing solidly on earth, bare feet rooted to the ground. The woman looks out of these paintings, holding the viewer in her gaze while the man is usually turned away. It was as if in painting her, I was saying, here I am. And yet once I became the observer of the final painting, she stood quite separately and self-contained, and we looked at each other. In another landmark body of work, African iconography and monumental clay sculptures first emerged in Bell's 1996 Crying Pots and Journey Pots series of sculptures and drawings. Based on traditional Mangabeer II pots, Crying Pots honors women of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission who spoke of others' grief and pain and very little of their own. In these pots, the women are depicted as having no limbs and therefore little power. Their heads are thrown back in a constant wailing of grief at the heartache of apartheid atrocities. Yet there is potency. A promise of new beginnings, of birthing, represented by the post-apartheid South Africa, which moves these sculptures from images of victims to a promise of power. Bell had been drawing the artifacts of ancient civilizations since she stumbled into the back room of a Johannesburg art gallery in 1989. Still today, Bell draws inspiration from work in museums rather than contemporary art shows and has filled countless notebooks with drawing research. While Bell's connection to the ancient language of the earth and spirituality was becoming more powerful, the artist engaged in a series of slightly darker collaborations with renowned artists 
William Kentridge and Robert Hodgins, works that reflect the tone and quality of Bell's newest etchings currently being editioned at the David Crit workshop. In 1976, Bell met Kentridge in an adult etching course, where they were the only two of the younger generation. It was the first time I met William Kentridge. My mother had dragged me kicking and screaming to keep her company. Seeing as I was a new first-year student in the fine art department, I really didn't want to go. It was the first etching I ever did. William was there, and it was his first etching too. Bell met Kentridge again ten years later when Robert Hodgins invited Bell to work on a collaboration of etchings, Hogarth in Johannesburg, with Kentridge. Robert Hodgins lectured Bell in university and exhibited in the same shows. Hogarth in Johannesburg occurred during Bell's 80s period in 1986 and 87, still as a shy woman who depicted women through male control. Bell portrays a woman whose husband has a male lover and ends up as a brothel manager. Bell, Kentridge and Hodgins continued to collaborate on five further projects. This included two etchings, Little Morals in 1990 and Ubu 101 in 1997, the latter which inspired other works of each artist, including Kentridge's groundbreaking Ubu and the Truth Commission. The artists collaborated on three animated films, namely Easing the Passing of the Hours in 1992, the well-known short film Memo in 1994, and Hotel in 1997. In Memo, Hodgins acted as a businessman, while Bell and Kentridge drew around and on him. Unlike much of her work of the period, it is very difficult to differentiate between Kentridge's and Bell's work as she used thick, free dark lines, much like Kentridge's typical style. Robert Hodgins described the collaborations in the following way. Collaboration is a very dodgy word, and whether Deborah Bell and William Kentridge and I really collaborate is perhaps uncertain. We agree to do work with a common theme, each pursuing his own way into the theme. What occurs is not like, say, the collaboration of a composer or a librettist. More comradely fiction, to our delight, produces unexpected sparks. Kentridge described the process as looking over each other's shoulders. An intimate view of each artist's style, Hodgins compares each artist in the following way. Watching Deborah work is a huge delight for me. When one tap doesn't flow, turn on another. William seems to me to come pre-armed, but Deborah digs into the situation. Ink gradually submerges her until she looks like a refugee from a Venetian mask. It gets onto cups and sauces and her surroundings. She scrapes her way into her image ferociously. Don't stroke her or she might spit. Deborah Bell's 2001 Unearthed Exhibition of Five Clay and Two Bronze Monumental Mythic Sculptures at the Goodman Gallery has been described as the essence of Deborah Bell. The figures incorporate the visual language of diverse civilizations and cultures and constitutes a multitude of voices, histories and geographies. Collectively, the mythic figures exert an awesome power over the viewer, which is augmented by the circle they were placed in. The clay sculptures were accompanied by sketches made afterwards, 
which is a form of archive and reworking of the sculptures, in the same way that her sculptures are a reworking of what she has seen in museums and galleries across the world. For these, Bell describes a building as a process of unearthing inner memories and knowledge which she did not know she had. The making of the unearthed figures was a further adventure into Bell's relationship with art making as a method of bringing into reality that which has always existed. Bell reached into the earth to find clay, a primal material linked to the origin of life. Before the figures were fired in a kiln, the terracotta surface was burnished with a smooth black pebble which produced a glossy outer skin. Using all these elements, earth, fire, air and water, to create the unearthed sculptures was critical to their spiritual resonance. Whether or not we believe in Bell's mythical interpretation of her work, and in the path that it leads to spiritual ascension, does not matter. Bell's extraordinarily expressive body of work constantly challenges us to remember and reflect on who we are and what gives a person's life meaning. Deborah Bell's work reflects an endless struggle, groping, rising and falling in the search for a higher spiritual truth, offering a personal spiritual pursuit rather than engaging in a mainstream art dialogue.